Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Let's talk about kissing. Okay. In English, if you want to render the sound of a noisy kiss, Mm -hmm. you usually write something like moi, right? Yeah, sure. M-W-A-H. Or M-U-A-H for some people. Yeah, something Mm -hmm. like that. That's what I would write. Yeah. In parts of South America, you would write C-H-U-I-K. Chwik. Chwik. Oh, nice. Nice, right? And there are different uh, spellings for this kind of thing all over the world. But if you ever need a sophisticated term for the sound of a kiss, Mm -hmm. you can always use the one that linguists use, which is bilabial lingual ingressive click. (laughs) Nice, right? Nice. Bilabial linguist. Say it again, please. Hey, baby, give me a bilabial lingual ingressive click. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. And there actually is a linguistic reason to have a term for this because in parts of southern Africa, Mm -hmm. there is that sound, that sort of kissing sound Ah, in certain languages. Very interesting. We don't have that as part of our sound inventory in English, though. We do not. We do (laughs) not. Not quite that way, anyway. We do not. But I'm adding that to my vocabulary. Bilabial lingual ingressive click. We want to talk about all kinds of language this hour. Call us 877-929-9673 or send your stories about language in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. This is Josh. I'm calling from Dallas, Texas. Hello, Josh. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I have a question that's been in the back of my mind about a problem that arose at work uh, on about a word. Okay. Great. Okay, so the word... Um, that uh, in question here is the word pussyfooting or pussyfoot. Okay. As in pussyfooting around. Right. Mm-hmm. Just a bit of background. Um, a couple of years ago, it was uh, in an educational setting at a school, and we were at a meeting, and, uh, you know, th- this kid really needed help, and people were really, you know, beating around the bush and uh, even being evasive about some stuff, and they just were noncommittal about it, so... I said the word, you know, guys, let's not pussyfoot around. And this <laughs> colleague of mine, a female colleague of mine who was, you know, uh, several years older than me, really put me to task. And I think she said something like, how dare you use that word? And I took her to mean that it was, you know, sexist or something. Nobody wanted to, to touch that because there was a lot of, you know, professionals in the room and I didn't respond to it. I wanted to deescalate the situation. So I just chose a different word. So I guess my question to you is, is the word pussyfooting around or pussyfooting itself offensive in any way? Or does it have a history of that? And if so, could you explain about it? Wow. My heavens. This is loaded. So nicely done on handling that situation yes. exactly as it should be handled. Yes. Um, move on is always the question, <laughs> right. particularly because you had a kid's future at stake here, and it wasn't about the language, it's about the kid, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it was an English teacher, so I was really surprised to to be put at task about word where it's really about, like you said, the kid. But anyways, the, the word is it's just, I take it to mean treading lightly like a cat would. Exactly. So I, don't, I just don't know. Yeah, treading lightly. It's exactly what it means. Pussyfooting means to have feet like a cat. So you have soft little pink paws with the fur. Right. If you had a, you know, imagine a cat, you know, when they make their biscuits, you know, they do that little <laughs> kneading. Yeah. Um, Milk treading. That's not to say that cats don't knock stuff off the counters and shelves all the time. <laughs> we've got two issues here. One of them is we've got a colleague who didn't understand that this word is harmless. And then the other issue is... Does that make you liable for her misunderstanding? 
I mean, does this obligate you somehow to accommodate her ignorance? You're right. The, the, I didn't think of that issue about, like, do I, am I liable for her being offended? I, I have an opinion on this, Martha, but I'm going to hold mm-hmm. it back for a second to see what you think. Well, I'm wondering about this woman, too, if she was just looking for something to be offended by. Ah, good question. <laughs> yeah, I was, mean, she, was she particularly angry or upset at the way the conversation was going otherwise, Josh? Well, it's really funny that you bring that up. Um we were we were friendly, but but you know how there's some people in the workplace that that tend to be more critical than others. Mm-hmm. She might have been seen as that as that kind. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I would go for caution here. Um, now that you are aware that some people don't know that pussyfoot is not vulgar, it isn't. It absolutely isn't. It behooves you to use something else like tread lightly instead. I'm I'm sorry. In some cases, particularly in the workplace, we have to accommodate the ignorant and just take the safe path. At home, I mean, you can have this and make it a big, full discussion. <laughs> right, but right. in the workplace, you've got to take the most conservative route. Yeah, and this okay. is a really tough one because it, in and of itself, it is an innocent word. Yeah, but I guess it's from these... pussycat. Yeah, it's a word yeah, for yeah. kitties, for cats, right, the little right. mouser guys. Yeah, but now you have me paranoid about saying it. Well, there's I a... mean, it's hard enough to say Pussy Riot on the radio. Right, exactly. You know? But yet it's on every news outlet. NPR yeah. uses it all the time. It's in print and all the newspapers. Headlines on the front of magazines at the newsstand, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's really, right. it's really interesting here. But again, so, we're, we're... so is there any history of, of sex? because of the overtones of the word has it ever been used that way put down women in any way or or no i wouldn't say that not in my experience have there been some one-off uses of it in that way maybe certainly you could load it with innuendo if you wanted to and you could turn it into vulgar uses if you had the mind to but for the most Mm -hmm. part in the historical record the word is simply used to mean somebody who literally treads lightly for a time, it only meant a detective or a gumshoe, somebody who was kind of sneaking around to gather information in order to prove a case. All right, Josh, carry on, and thank you for being thoughtful, all right? Thanks so much. Yeah, sure. All right, bye-bye. Thanks, guys, bye. Pussyfoot goes back to the 1890s, yeah. um, shows up in literary uses mostly, eventually starts to be used, um, again, mainly used in the beginning to mean just to, to walk softly mm-hmm. when you're up to something. And then mm-hmm. later, we it shifts to the use that Josh had, which was to avoid mm-hmm. dealing with a difficult subject. Right, right. Handle something delicately. Mm-hmm. The whole call reminds me of something a therapist once told me, which was, you can be right or you can be in a relationship. <laughs> you know, I mean, Josh was right. And it's not just romantic relationships, exactly. right? It's all of your you one-to-ones, exactly right? Exactly, yeah. a work relationship. What's at stake here is the Ex- question. And great. that's really yes. what Josh was asking Exactly. And what was at stake was um, collegiality. Exactly. What, what it was stake was the future of a child, and he was he handled it perfectly. Yeah, he, he was did. not distracted by the fact that this woman called him on his word choice. Yes. she clearly was spoiling for a fight in my eyes. That's what I think. Yeah, that's what but, I but think. But well done. What words have come up at your workplace that have all of you all talking? Give us a call eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. We talked recently about mean book reviews and how we didn't like them, mm-hmm. but I found one that I'm afraid I really like. Oh. <laughs> it goes, the covers of this book are too far apart. <laughs> Isn't that awful? I've heard that one before. <laughs> Who was that? Who said that about whom? Well, I'm glad you asked because it was attributed to Ambrose Bierce, mm-hmm. but like so many quotes, uh, they get attributed to people. If you go to Garson O'Toole's site, yes. quote investigator, he traces it back even farther. Okay. So, so, so it's just kind doubtful of, that Beers Nobody famous it. said it, but somebody did. Right. Oh. The covers of this book are too <laughs> far apart. That's mean, but it's clever. If you want us to sort out some ambiguity, give us a call, 877-929-9673. Tell us about an email to words at waywardradio.org. Find our Facebook page or our Facebook group, or send us a quick message on Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. Hi, who's this? This is Yvette. Yvette, welcome to the show. What can we help you with? Hi, Grant. Thank you. Um, actually, um, I have a dilemma. Okay. I'm okay. just c- calling regarding the spelling of, well, the two spellings of a dilemma. The one with two M's and the one that's M-N. Mm-hmm. Ah, mm, interesting. Yeah. Dilemma and dilemma. <laughs> no, it's still yeah. dilemma. It's still dilemma. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. There are two spellings of dilemma in your world? Yes, in my world and apparently many others from what I hear. 
Wow, um, parallel yeah, universes what, do exist. <laughs> Um, I first learned Dilemma with MN, and I think it was around elementary school, and um, I attended a military school in kindergarten, and then the rest of elementary school was in a private uh, Catholic school. Both of those were in New England. But mm-hmm. later on in life, when I started college, I realized it's MMA. And so you, how long did you spell it as M-N-A, D-I-L-E-M-N-A? Well, to be quite truthful, I still write it out, but then I spell check myself and I correct it. Oh, wow. Hmm. Interesting. That's a horrible habit. So your question is, what's going on here? Yeah. Hmm. Is it a regional thing? No, it's a mistake. Okay. <laughs> really? And you know, you're not the only one. You are right. There are lots of people that have been taught to spell dilemma with an N. Dilemma mm-hmm. has never had an N in it. Never. Oh my. Uh, my theory is there's so many people who say this that there was a misprint in a widely used textbook mm-hmm. and everyone just assumed the book was right. Mm-hmm. That's all oh. I can think of because there's no reason for it to be spelled with an N. None of the dictionaries have it. In the historical record, it's very rare. And yet there are people, so many people alive today who swear they learned it from a teacher in school. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We had a caller many, many years yeah. ago, mm-hmm. and I think he went to Catholic school. Uh, yes, I was going to say that. You exactly know? right. I so wonder. I'm wondering yeah. if there's a particular textbook used in the, the Catholic schools, or I don't even know. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I remember we told them it was just with two M's, and then we got all these emails and all these calls Tons from people who said, no, 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 <laughs> I was taught that but way too. I have to tell you, this kind of underscores what I'm saying is that, uh, God bless them, I love teachers, but when they go wrong, they they leave permanent damage. <laughs> that is correct, that is correct. It's a souvenir okay, from your I'll schooling, remember. though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a souvenir from your schooling. That's a nice positive way to look at that. <laughs> Thanks for calling. And if you find out anything more about uh, if you remember the teacher or the year or the textbook, give us a call or drop us a line and let us know, all right? We will get to the bottom of this one. We will figure out where this mass delusion came from. All right. Sounds good. Thank Uh, you so much. Take care now. Thanks, Yvette. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org. It's cool word time, Martha. I have a cool word for you. Okay. There's a word for rain mm-hmm. that evaporates before it hits the ground. Before it hits the yeah, ground. Yeah, it's Virga, V-I-R-G-A. I did I, not know I that. did not know that either. Isn't that astonishing that they're so specialized in the, yeah. in the meteorological trades that they should use that word? Yeah. And it comes from the Latin, from a word meaning rod or strike. Oh, sure, sure, yeah, sure. So you can imagine the streaks of rain coming down, but failing to reach the ground. Yeah, yeah, I believe that's related to the word for slash. Isn't it ah, Virgo? Yes, yeah. very good. Exactly. That's exactly right. But I did not know that Virgil, about the V-I-R-G-U-L-E. So they're both related. Interesting. Cool word time. Yay. Thank you. If you got a cool word you want to share, 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org. What weird thing do they say out your way? Stay tuned to Away With Words. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us on the line from New York City is John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. Hey, buddy. What's up? It seems that uh, in Gotham City, anyone with an ER at the end of their name can be a Batman villain, right? Okay. The Joker, the Riddler, Mm. the Mad Hatter. Mm -hmm. Now, at least those guys had good gimmicks. Now, suppose you had an ER at the end of your name, but your evil villain style wasn't quite up to snuff. I imagine Batman would get pretty tired of dealing with your issues. So we're going to find <laughs> okay. some guys like this. Uh, I want to warn you that when I playtested this, some of my playtesters had two answers, uh, gave other answers, alternate answers, which I found perfectly wonderful. So if you got either one of those, that'll be fine. Now, these are going to be words that end in E-R, usually okay. K-E-R or L-E-R. Okay. Oh, really? For, okay. for example, 
Now, this woman is mostly annoying, but she could be dangerous. She has the power to make very tiny, loud explosions, but she can make a whole bunch of them in a row very quickly. Watch your fingers around... The firecracker? The firecracker, yes. <laughs> and her, her other name is the Ladyfinger. Oh, very nice, the Ladyfinger. <laughs> sure Here's another lame villain. This villain constantly annoys Batman by trying to set him up with her niece, soy vey. Matchmaker. The matchmaker, yes. <laughs> Most of these villains are just, just annoying, basically. This one villain plans elaborate heists theme after the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. The Trekker? The Trekker, yes. <laughs> the name for people who are obsessed with Star Trek. The Trekker. This one dude is a pretty serious crime lord. It's just that for some reason, all of his crimes have something to do with fishing. The Angler? The Angler, yes. Now, one of Batman's most vexing villains is not really a villain herself. She just makes excuses for other villains and gives them no reason to stop their nefarious crimes. The Enabler. Yes, oh, the Enabler. <laughs> Fear the Enabler. <laughs> this one has uh, two possible answers. Let's see what we get. A member of several crime syndicates, this villain stays behind the scenes and uses his amazing accounting powers to take care of the financial aspects of several evil organizations. The bookkeeper. Oh. I like the bookkeeper, yes. No, My but another answer. Yeah, what else? You got another one? Mm, the comptroller. Yes, oh. the comptroller. Or controller. I, I think just it's love... actually pronounced controller, even though there's an MP in there. Yeah, I just love that word, yeah. so that's why I wanted to use it as a Batman villain. <laughs> Now, finally, uh, Batman has never been able to capture this one villain whose power is the ability to force everyone to follow every single little rule to the letter. He always gets the off on a technicality. The nitpicker. Nitpicker's good. <laughs> I, have another, I have another one for that. Um, the quibbler. Quibbler? Oh, I know. What Maybe there's a bunch. I like the stickler. Oh, good. Oh, that's good, stickler. too. Yeah. Now, uh, Batman Arkham Asylum is not going to play itself, so i got to get home to my Xbox. Uh, thank you guys very much. <laughs> Give the Xbox our love. I will. <laughs> Sends it right back to Wouldn't you. want to keep you away from it. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. It's always a pleasure. Talk to you next week. All right. Bye. And if you want to talk with us about language, give us a call, 877-929-9673. Send those emails to words at waywardradio.org, and we are all over Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, uh, this is uh, Charles Moss. I'm calling from Lynchburg, Virginia. Oh, hi, Charles. Welcome and, to the uh, show. Hey. What's up? Well, I've got a question about the expression in Breaking Bad. Ah, um, Breaking mm, Bad. Okay. That term, I've always heard it growing up in Virginia. It's kind of a just a slang for, you know, departing from being nice. Ah. Is it? As in, like, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to break bad on you. Mm. You heard it long before the show, then. Right, and Vince Gilligan's from Virginia, and, you know, I'm a fan of him going back to the X-Files. He wrote and worked with that a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, uh, you know, when he created Breaking Bad, I read an interview, and he was saying that it was an expression from back home. I don't think people outside of this area really knew what that was about until the show. Mm. Uh, and I was wondering if it was just in a, the South, or whether it was just like Virginia and North Carolina, or... Or what? I liked your description of what it means to break bad. I think of it as breaking away from the pack. You break away from the pack mm -hmm. of regular, well-behaved people and go out on your own and get a little <laughs> wild, right? Yeah, just like Walter White, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so he goes from being this boring, boring chemistry teacher who's been diagnosed with cancer to being like a drug lord. Right. Um, he literally broke away from the like ordinary life that he otherwise would have lived. You're right. Uh, Vince Gilligan, who is the writer, director, and producer of Breaking Bad, has given numerous interviews where he's almost always asked about this term, at least from people who didn't do their homework. And he told the New York Times in 2009 that it did come from his background in Virginia. And he mentioned it was... Um, it was to raise hell. That was the expression he used. He said, Jim was down at the bar the other weekend, and he got really drunk, and he, and he really broke bad. He totaled his car. So we're not just talking about um, you're gossiping. We're not just talking about um, you had three more drinks than you should. We're talking about you shut down the bar, you wrecked your car, you went home, lit the house on fire, walked around the neighborhood with no pants. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> Um, if you go to yeah. UrbanDictionary.com, you'll find a number of people have mistakenly assumed that it was a term from the southwest of the United States, but it's not. The first time to break bad shows up in a really 
firm way where no, we know it's the same slang term is in the 1960s, and it is almost always in the 60s and early 70s from African-American speakers and writers. So you'll see it show up, for example, in 1969 in a play by Alice Childress called Wine in the Wilderness, a comedy drama, where uh, there's two people talking back and forth. And um, <laughs> the man, uh, the woman asks the man for some food, and he brings her a hot dog. And so she goes on this long riff about a hot dog, uh, how a hot dog's not food, and you can't bring me something better in this. And he's like, baby, don't break bad over something to eat. The smart set, the jet set, the beautiful people, kings and queens, eat frankfurters. And so in their mind, breaking bad is just getting angry or kind of um, just stepping over the line a little bit in a conversation. But eventually it, it, it starts being exaggerated. And it's not just getting angry anymore. It's, it's um, really having a heck of a time. It's breaking bad. Yeah, it's breaking <laughs> bad. It is, it's a big deal eventually. So it kind of escalates. That's my understanding. I've just grown up with it. So I just assumed it was something that people used all around the United States, but mm. evidently not. How does that feel to see a term that you think of as your own from your own hometown Go national or international. I mean, I think it's kind of cool, really, that, yeah, that yeah. Vince Gilligan actually calls attention to uh, Virginia um, as being part of the inspiration. I don't know. Yeah, it's sort of like liking a band before everybody else That's likes it, That's what I was right? thinking about, right? Sometimes you feel betrayed because they were they were yours, but sometimes like, yeah, <laughs> you're like, too right. Yeah. yeah, you better love these guys. They're awesome. The world, <laughs> whole world should know about this band I love. Well, that's interesting. You answered it uh, very well. Oh, we do our best. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Bye, Charles. Bye-bye. Take care now. Oh, we should point probably to this play by Alice Childress. It's really hilarious. It's written in the African-American vernacular. Uh-huh. Um, but it's really a perfect use of the language of the 1960s among African-Americans. It's great. Cool. She's Give me just, the name again. So the play is called Wine in the Wilderness. Wine it's from 1969, and it's by Alice Childress. Is that with an H or without? Wine... Wine <laughs> as a drink. Wine in the wilderness. Oh, okay. W-I-N-E. Okay. Very good. And if you have a question about language, call us, 877-929-9673. Did you see these reports circulating about a new processed potato product called Mash Tags? No. These are potato snacks that are supposedly pressed into the shape of symbols that you see on Twitter. (laughs) So they're these little potato-flavored snacks that are supposed to appeal to the younger generation, you know, the folks who are into social media. And so they're little, little... Little hashtag shapes and little at signs and little smiley faces. So you can make hash browns out of the hashtags. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. And um, they're going to be sold in the U.K. first. I don't know if they'll make it to this country or not. But it got me to thinking about what other Internet-themed foods need to be invented. Uh-oh. So, uh, of course, I've, I've been hard at work, as <laughs> you, you can imagine. Do I need to put on my pun helmet? Yes. <laughs> Well, let me strap on my pun armor. That's right. (laughs) You need to engage the force field right now because here they come. First one is internetella, which um, you can spread wide on your um, on your toast. Internetella. Internetella. Okay. Very good. More popular in Europe than it is here. Mm -hmm. Eggs TML, which (laughs) which are eggs made completely from scratch. So this is like a markup language for talking about food. Yes, yes. Eggs TML. It's it's one little thing goes wrong in the recipe, the whole thing is a mess. And dill pixels. These are little <laughs> bitty, little, little, little bitty dits. So like you would put put a spoonful of dill pixels on your burger. <laughs> so even smaller than a gherkin. <laughs> yes, much, much smaller than a gherkin. <laughs> okay then. But we'll you get know on what? that at the factory. I, what? I'm betting that our listeners can come up with many more internet themed foods. All right, bring it on. All right. Internet theme foods, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org, or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Clayton from Joplin, Missouri. Hi, Clayton. Welcome to the show. Thank you. What's up? Well, uh, I had a question for you. The other day, um, one of my coworkers was in my classroom, and I was emailing uh, another coworker for her birthday. And uh, I sent uh, the Ryan Gosling Hey Girl meme to her. Mm-hmm. T- tell us and, what that is for, for folks who don't know. Well, it's just a, a picture of Ryan Gosling, and it says Hey Girl on it, and then it says all kinds of various things. So first one that I saw said, Hey Girl, hope you do well on your finals. And um, this one was just Hey Girl, happy birthday, and it's usually 
you know, an attractive picture of him. Okay, and it's like, hey, girl. Right, yes. it's a little more sexy. Yeah, so um, anyway, I said I was sending that and thought it was funny, and I told him about it, and he said, ooh, Ryan Gosling, he's so handsome. So I sort of cocked my head a little bit as if to say, you know, what would your wife think about you saying this? <laughs> and so we went on to a, a conversation that uh, since then has lasted a few weeks um, as to uh, exactly how you call someone of the same sex uh, attractive, but not saying that you're attracted to that person. There's a distinguishment there. So your coworker is heterosexual and married to a woman. Yep, he is. Okay. And so for him to say that, you're like, oh, I didn't know that you liked guys, basically. I just think perhaps for uh, women, there are other distinguishing attractive words, but it doesn't seem like there are as many for men. So that was confusing to me. This is a, a tough one. It uh, is a it, tough and one. And it all depends, like, do you mind giving the wrong signal? I don't care. Right. If I right. say that a man right. is attractive right. and people go, well, what are you, a homosexual? I might be like, as <laughs> far as you know, is that any of your business? You know, because I don't really yeah, care about true. that. Right. I, don't, I don't care about being well, judged. That's not the world I live in. Right. Yeah. I, I actually got a chance to ask his wife this a few days later and uh, what she thought of it. And she uh, she basically said, why does it matter? <laughs> well, so, yeah. Um, That's a good point. I thought that was good. I think we've got some answers here, Clayton. It's a great question. You know what's going to happen. We're gonna, you're going to blow up our email box with this one. <laughs> great. So <Yes. laughs> drop your email bombs at words at waywardradio.org or try us on Facebook and Twitter. We have a lively audience there. Or just give us a call, 877-929-9673. If you're heterosexual and you're a man, how do you describe another good-looking man? And women, what do you think? Clayton, thank you so much for calling. Thank you. Take care now. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. We've talked on the show before about uh, book spine poetry. You know, when you pile up a bunch of books and you read the spine and, and the titles form a poem. And Stan Carey had a wonderful one on his blog the other day. Day that he called Antarctica. This is a stack of books read from the side. It goes, Skating to Antarctica, Desolation Island, a place apart where the wasteland ends, soul on ice, into the silent land, the other side of you. Hmm, nice. I, I like that. That's yeah. a really nice poem. And it's a, I like that it's the sum total of a lot of people thinking carefully about titles of books as well. You know, there are, That's a beautiful way to so, put it, yeah. So the stacking of the books might be accidental, or maybe yeah. he arranged them that way. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of independent thought behind yeah. each one of those. If you've made your own book, Spine Poetry, we'd love to read it. You can email it to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Yes, sir. This is Jim Liner. Hi, Jim. How you doing? Where are you calling from? Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome to the show, Jim. How can we help you? When I was a youngster growing up in the country in North Carolina, the backside of our farm was adjoined the people that lived up the dirt road, kind of isolated, and we'd go by there when we were working in that part of the farm and get some fresh water. And when we would stop there, the little lady in the house would come to the front door and she'd say, a light and come in. And uh, she was a pump of some fresh water, and she was very pleasant. Anyhow, so I asked my dad one day, I said, what does she mean? She said, a light and come in. He said, well, if you notice that tree out in the front yard, there was a rock about 18 inches high with a flat top on it, and people used to tie their horses up there, and they would step down from their saddle onto that rock. And so that's really, she said, a light and come in. Mm-hmm. So I know that's a long out of out of use term, but it was in use when my dad was boy because he recognized it. Well, Jim, I think it's a really beautiful term, and I've I've seen lots of different versions of this kind of expression, and it's exactly what you're talking about: get off your horse and come in. Right. I've seen it as a light and look at your saddle, or a light and look to your beast. How about that? 
Yeah, which you would say to somebody if they've been riding on the road all day long to get to where you are mm-hmm. and you you want to invite them in, so you tell them to get off the horse and, and loosen the saddle, you know, look to your beast, make sure that the horse is okay, and then come on in and have a cup of water or coffee or something. Exactly. Iced tea. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, iced tea, sweet tea, right? <laughs> In that part of the country, for sure. Mm-hmm. I've also seen light and cool your saddle. Ah. Like which, mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think is just such a beautifully evocative expression. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can just picture You can almost smell it, can't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been a dry, dusty day. You're a little sweaty. The horse is sweaty. Yeah. Long road ahead of you, long road behind. Mm-hmm. Somebody pleasant pops up and offers you a break. You'll take it. Yeah. But the light here in the word is doing something else. This isn't the same light like the light that... Um, is on the ceiling, right, or the light from the sun? No, no, no. A, a light, a light <laughs> means like you land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, like a butterfly might light on a flower. Exactly, it, different exactly, kind of light. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a. It's not the same word, even though it's spelled the same. That's in, English is loaded with all these similarities. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, a, a light in this case means to. Uh, to descend. Step down and come forward. That's right. Mm-hmm. To step down and come forward is a great way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Well, James, i got to tell you, thanks for bringing this uh, expression to mind. It uh, sounds like a, something maybe we could bring back because you do get out of a car, right? Yeah, but you, you get out. That sounds, <laughs> that's like, blah. Yeah. I'm going to light from my automobile. <laughs> a light from my automobile and step into the house for, for a cool one. Yeah. It's such a hospitable phrase, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. Where, I agree. Jim, where in North Carolina were you? I just have to ask because you sound just like my dad. Well, near Chapel Hills, Route 2 Hillsboro. Okay. My dad was from oh. Alexander County. Mm, up in the mountains, huh? Yes, sir. Born at the foot of Sugarloaf Mountain. There you go. Well, Jim, we appreciate your calling. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank okay. you. Take Thanks, care now. Jim. You know, Grant, speaking of that word light and mm-hmm. a light, um, I have to say that um, as a Southern Baptist preacher's kid growing up, my brother and I used used to like to be naughty, and our way of being naughty was to tell Bible jokes. Oh. And <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, Whole what... <laughs> category of humor that I missed out on, apparently. That's right. <laughs> right. Well, let, let me share some of it with you. One of, one of our Bible jokes was, when were cigarettes mentioned in the Bible? And people say, I don't know. And then we would say Genesis twenty four sixty four. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Preacher's kids, Preacher's they know where kids. it's at. <laughs> <laughs> we were bad. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. More stories about what we say and how we say it. Stay with us. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Suppose you're at a social gathering and you're introduced to someone you'd like to get to know better. Once you've exchanged pleasantries, then what do you reach for as a conversation starter? What's that one question that you fall back on that you feel hits the sweet spot between being too nosy Mm -hmm. and uh, being too impersonal? For me, when I lived um, back east, I would usually say, what do you do? Right. What do you do? When I was in New York City, that was the thing. Totally permitted. Right. Right, but you come out here to California, and I no. don't. And also during the recession, I stopped saying it too because because the answer would be too complicated and sometimes a downer, right? right. So what do you say, Grant, when you when you want to get to know somebody better? Oh, it depends. And uh, now that I'm married, the conversations go a lot differently. Mm, that's well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's part of <laughs> Good it, right? Point. Who are you here with? Might Good be a question point. when I was a bachelor. Oh yeah, right. Okay. It's a way of determining right. whether or not she was open to me getting her a drink and having a good conversation and getting to know oh, each other, that's, right? That's, yeah, that's um, interesting. And but the also um, that you, I do ask that question now, but I have different intentions. Right. Um, 
oh, how do you how do you know our host? Right, that's a good right? one. Go yeah. to a party and and they're like, oh, well, we went to high school together and you've got a whole conversation, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. we're involved in a startup together, right. you've got a whole conversation, yeah. or um, sometimes it's a great answer like. I don't know. I'm his butcher, and he just invited me to, when he was in the store the other day. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God. You're like, yeah, and you're like, Tell okay, your, love yeah. this. Interesting. I've been thinking about this because Deborah Fallows, the linguist, has been writing about this over at The Atlantic online. And um, she started thinking about it because she went to South Carolina and found that one of the questions that's asked very quickly is, what church do you go to? Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And she was surprised to hear that, but but I certainly heard that growing up and when I was K- in the South. In Kentucky, that's what the question was? Well, interestingly enough, in Kentucky, specifically in Louisville, Louisvillians are notorious for asking, where'd you go to high school? Oh, that's the same in St. Louis. Oh, is it really? Where I've I've spent much of my childhood Uh or lived near. Uh Yeah, St. Louis. Because it'll tell you a lot of things right away about, like, did you go to school in the city Mm -hmm. or in the county? And were you in a rich neighborhood or, like, a not-so-rich neighborhood? There's a lot of information Right, right, in that one question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our question for you is, what do you ask people when you don't know anything about them but you want to find out more? Is it where they went to high school, what church they went to, or something else? 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. Hi, who's this? Hi, Grant. Hello there. (laughs) Hi, this is Shana from Somerville, Massachusetts. How are you? Hi, Shana. What's going on? Um, So I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish kind of environment. And I work in the Jewish community now, and I've noticed that a lot of times people use Yiddish grammar constructions, but in their English. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, people would say, oh, I'm eating by Martha's house tomorrow, meaning they're eating at Martha's house, Mm -hmm. which is the same way you would say it in Yiddish. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, I just kind of was wondering if that was a phenomenon with other languages, if there was any more you could tell me about that, I found it really interesting. Yeah, I encountered a similar uh, similar phenomenon when I lived in New York City. Uh, for a time, I lived in a building that was entirely um, Orthodox Jews. but um, uh-huh. And so I encountered the same thing as well, where you'd get what's called, this is the word, the calc. Like C-A-L-Q-U-E. A calc is when you take the pattern, usually the syntax of language A, and you match the words from language B to that syntax. And so it sounds a little odd to the people who speak native or language B natively. So a calc is sometimes it's just a word. The classic example is the word skyscraper, which has been calced from language to language. It's graziel in French and something similar in German and something similar in Spanish. But they literally translate to each other across all these different languages. Um, and so so because of the long history of, for example, Yiddish speakers in New York City, we see some patterns in New York City, even among people who are not Jewish, that are related to the original syntax from Yiddish as it was spoken mainly in Eastern Europe. For example, um, if Martha and I go out for dinner and, and I'm like, uh, you know, this is not a good choice. We didn't really do well. She's like, what's not to like? Look at this. We've got, a, <laughs> yeah, right. we've, got, we've got beautiful food, great vegetarian fare. The wine is good. The sunlight is good. We've got friends nearby. So the, what, the what's not to like is also a classic um, borrowing from the structure of Yiddish. And with a little bit uh-huh. of German thrown in there, because don't forget that German was the most, it was the number two language for a very long time in the United States. So when Yiddish showed up, it kind of fit naturally into some places where German had already been spoken and left some residue of its own. Interesting. That's, yeah. that's really cool. So there are a ton of people who've researched this sort of stuff. I, I don't have anything at my fingertips to refer you to, but I would really encourage you to, to Google the word calc, C-A-L-Q-U-E, in Yiddish and English. So Google those three words together, and I believe you'll come across some from really comprehensible stuff written by experts who've, who've um, sometimes from within the community and sometimes without, have studied this as a phenomenon. Yeah, you could also Google structural borrowing. That's another go. term for it. But And it's not just New York City, of course. No. I mean, in Wisconsin, you hear a lot of things like that, you know, where the streetcar bends the corner around, mm-hmm. you know, or, or th- throw the cow over the fence some hay once. And the, and the come with construction that yeah. uh, people associate with Chicago and the Great Lakes region, um, that also probably is a Germanic borrowing from German. Right. Kommen Sie mit, um, to come with me. Right, come mit, with me. mit Kommen, yeah. 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 Um, Shannon, do you have any other examples from your experience? Um, I made a little list just of things Ooh. I was ah, hearing great. and we like coming lists. by. Um, so I know from like I don't know oh, what right. do you yeah. know from matzo balls? You're from the Midwest. Yeah, that's so great. <laughs> right. For example, um, hold by or hold with. 
um, I was having a discussion with a coworker about our policy in regards to paying for coffee in the office, and he was like, okay, I, I agree with what you're saying. I'll hold by you. In, mm. as opposed to holding by with somebody else's ah. opinion. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. I'm not sure I'm explaining that quite right. <laughs> I think I got it. Okay. So, like, yeah, kind of going in accordance to someone's opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, in Jewish law, you'd say, oh, I hold by Rabbi so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know, that's just kind of a construction that has branched out that yeah. I've noticed. Okay. Uh-huh. What about um, if I say, if, if, if you and I meet, uh, you, we both come home from work at the same time, and some, some dinner you want? Instead of saying, do you want dinner, yeah. do you use that one? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one I hear a lot. Giant books have been written on the influence of Yiddish on English. It won't take you long to find them. But um, thank you, Shana, for sharing what you know and what you've experienced on your own. It's always nice to abstract ourselves from the academic world and get the real-world experience. Thank you for talking to me. I'm, yeah, sure. It's really exciting. Thank you. Okay. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673, or you can send them an email to words at waywardradio.org, and we are all over Facebook and Twitter. Grant, I have another Bible joke for you. What kind of car did the three wise men drive? Oh, I'm afraid to answer this. I don't know. <laughs> They drove a Honda. They all came in one accord. (laughs) (laughs) I think we also used to say the wise men were firefighters because they came from afar. But that's because I grew up in Kentucky. Where a fire is when I was far. (laughs) Preacher's kid jokes from Martha. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, uh, this is Ed Cobb calling from... uh, West Paulette, Vermont. West Paulette, Vermont. Well, welcome right. to the show, Ed. How are you doing? Hi, Ed. I'm doing fine, thanks. All right. What can we help you with? Well, uh, several uh, oh, decades ago, I guess, I'm retired now, but at work, uh, I was uh, reviewing a document for one of my colleagues, and uh, I changed uh, comprises to is comprised of, and years later... I realized that I was wrong. I should have left it the way it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was wondering, you know, if you had some sort of uh, guideline or mnemonic or something like that that uh, we all could use for determining when you use is comprised of or comprises or is composed of. Or So you're um, coming to us with decades-old guilt? Yeah. I absolve right. you. <laughs> <laughs> you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. <laughs> yes, I was really embarrassed when I realized it later on. <laughs> So, Ed, you'd like a, a mnemonic device for dealing with uh, things like comprise and is comprised of, correct? And com- or is composed of uh, mm-hmm. or composes okay. or, yeah, you know, that's a whole sort of collection of things there. Yep. I have a mnemonic device for you. Don't ever use is comprised of. Okay. That's sort of what I thought. <laughs> yeah. How's that? <laughs> don't ever use it. Yeah, just don't. It confuses people and it confuses the issue. Right. Um, comprises uh, has to do with getting your arms around something. It, it goes all the way back to a Latin word that means to grasp. And so comprise is something that something big does. I, I, whenever I say the word comprise, in fact, I, I move my arms. Grant can see me mm-hmm. doing that now. It's, it's like I'm hugging <laughs> she, a tree like, or she something. Like the butterfly stroke in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so comprise means to contain. So you would say the alphabet comprises 26 letters, for example. Right. Okay. Or contains 26 letters. Um, and that's really pretty much what you need to know. That's pretty much the one use. If it's not that use, don't do it. Uh-huh. Well, uh, I sort of have, have kind of thought that maybe the word includes would be uh, a good mm-hmm. substitute yep. in the uh, construction of the sentence grammatically. You know, um, Not necessarily logical, but if you could um, substitute uh, includes for comprises and it makes uh, grammatic sense... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think then you'd be okay using comprises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good... Uh, it's kind of kind of synonym of includes, but inc- it might not make logical sense in what you're trying to say, but... Uh, yeah, includes or contains. Uh-huh, okay. I think, I yeah, think you're good. fine. So you could say the alphabet is composed of 26 letters, but it comprises 26 letters. Right, So exactly. it shouldn't be, comprise should not be followed by of, and when in doubt, just use another word, as you say. That's the safe route. Just avoid comprise if you're not sure about it. Right. All right. 
Thanks for calling. Well, very man. nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. Nice talking with you. Take, thanks for listening. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Language is interesting, and so are you. Call us with your story, 877-929-9673, or tell us all about yourself in email, words at waywardradio.org. A little bit of slang that I didn't know that I came across, and I feel a little bad because it's been around for a while, but it's Russell My Jimmies. Russell My so Jimmies. So let's say that you're on your Facebook account, right, and you're scrolling past pictures of cute babies and birthday wishes and uh, something from a business that you follow, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mom's got something on there, right? And then you see a post of like a car accident. You're mm-hmm. you're your jimmies are rustled because you suddenly go from feelings of happiness oh. to feelings of like nervousness and fear and kind of uh, maybe even disgust or outrage, that sort of thing. So your jimmies are rustled. My my, that rustled my jimmies. Huh? Is yeah. that uh, American? Is yeah, it, it uh, is American, okay. and I don't think it has anything to do with the sprinkles on top uh-huh. of ice cream. You know, right. the, yeah, some yeah, people yeah. call them the jimmies, but yeah. but it could. I'm looking into it. Interesting. Yeah, if rustled you use jimmies. the expression "rustled my jimmies" and you know it, um, say from way back, give me a call eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or let Martha and me know about it at words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. This is Pat from Eureka in the far north of California. Oh, yes, of course. We know where that is. Hi, Pat. Welcome to the show. Thank you. What's going on? I didn't grow up in the U.S. I, uh, I grew up in the U.K., uh, but I've lived here for 20 years, and um, I think I'm you know, fairly well assimilated language-wise. Mm-hmm. There's, this, there's one American term that I've never been able to wrap my tongue around. The term that I can't deal with is bangs for a fringe of hair. So you would call it a fringe of hair? I would call it a fringe. Mm-hmm. So, so what's the difficulty with bangs? I can't see the relationship between the words and what they're representing. Ah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I can see why that <laughs> would sound because, strange. Because, there's, you know, you have the song, the sorry with a fringe on top. Mm-hmm. Sure. Just like a fringe of hair. Right, mm-hmm. right. Okay. Yeah, well, bang has an interesting history. You know, at first it meant to strike violently mm-hmm. back in the day, and then it referred to any kind of sudden or violent movement. And bang took on this other meaning of of abruptly or suddenly or completely. I went bang up to somebody and mm-hmm. talked to him, or mm-hmm. sort of like smack dab mm-hmm. in uh, colloquial English. Um, but if you um, cut your hair bang off in front, you cut it straight across. So it's a bang oh. cut. And there's a word in the horse world yes. for a bang-tailed pony. Yes. That is, their hair is literally cut straight across. Mm-hmm. But in American English, we took it and kind of modified it a little bit, right? So mm-hmm. no longer is it just the straight cut. It's any hair that hangs in the front. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's related to that idea of a bang-tail horse, too. That's, that was a way to uh, count them, mm-hmm. too. When you had a whole big roundup, you could keep track of which horse was which by starting to cut the uh, the ends of the tails off. And if you look, if you look in the old, um, I don't know, magazines and stuff that you can find online, you will find places where people compare a woman's hair cut this way unfavorably to the rear of a horse. (laughs) (laughs) That's not very complimentary. (laughs) Well, there was a time when you simply didn't wear bangs. And it was a very, it was decades when bangs were completely out of fashion. Right. So once they started to come back into fashion, Mm -hmm. there, you know, much humor about that, much... uh, jocular kind of reposts and that sort of thing, just mm-hmm. the teasing, gentle stuff sometimes, but mm-hmm. sometimes not. Being compared to a horse's ass isn't good at any point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think I'd pass on that one. <laughs> Pat, have you been here for uh, since the 80s? Did you see bangs in the 80s, like in the Midwest and Texas and places like that? Um, no, I, I, I came in the early 90s. Okay, so, so they uh, were astonishing oh my in gosh. their... Uh, anti-grav cap capabilities. <laughs> they stuck out forward, and I've got my hand up here, yeah. like a garden rake, and they were <laughs> hard and crusty from the hairspray. And this was bangs in the 80s and 90s, at least where I lived in in the Midwest. Well, we call them a boof. A boof. Just a boof. Not a full boof font, just like the front part, right? Just something and that the would... whole rest of the head could be lank and yeah. like kind of greasy, but yeah, the bangs yeah. were perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah, but they look like they would hurt you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right, right. It's like the, the prow on a ship or the cow, cat, the cow catcher in the front of a locomotive, yeah. you know? So does that time in with like head banging on the dance floor? Or oh, completely <laughs> different groups. Kind of completely different groups of people. They, they never hung out. Anyway, oh, 
Oh, Pat. Pat so, so <laughs> how did we do a bang up job? Did we solve this for you? Uh, I think so. All right, good. <laughs> you so. don't sound completely convinced, Pat. <laughs> but she's confused now. That's our job. <laughs> she's thinking about <laughs> the rear end of a horse. <laughs> you got it right from the horse's mouth. There we go. Right. The right end. The correct Better end. Better than the other end of the horse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Pat, thanks, thanks for calling. Bye bye. Thank you. Right, bye bye. And that's the least of the confusions between the two Englishes, right? The least, yes. <laughs> if you've got something that confuses you about the way they talk across the pond, or heck, the way we talk here in the United States, give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org. One more Preacher's Kid joke for you, oh, Grant. Uh, we used to say this one, my brother and I. Dish it out. When was tennis mentioned in the Bible? I don't know. When Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. <laughs> 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 oh, wow. I didn't think you'd like that. No, I appreciate a joke <laughs> once in a while. And you say it with such delight on you. You have this impish look on your I face. I do. <laughs> Things have come to a pretty pass. That's all for today's broadcast, but don't wait till next week. You can join us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And check out our website, waywardradio.org. You'll find a dictionary, a newsletter, mobile apps, and a discussion forum. You can also listen to hundreds of past episodes free of charge. Leave us a message anytime at 877-929-9673. Share your family's stories about language or ask us to resolve language disputes at work, home, or school. You can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Our senior producer is Stephanie Levine. The show is directed this week by Mark Kirchner and edited by Tim Felton. We have production help from James Ramsey. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who believe in lifelong learning and better human communication. We're coming to you this week from the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Take care. Sayonara. You like tomato and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off But oh, if we call the whole thing off Then we must part And oh, if we ever part Then that might break my heart So if you like pajamas and I like pajamas I'll wear pajamas